Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode number 20, entitled Enter Zinkevich, in which I'll be examining issue number 18. If you're interested in fantastic storytelling paired with breathtaking, beautiful, stunning artwork, then this story arc is for you. We begin the Demon Bear Saga and the run of Zinkevich. Stay tuned. So let's dive into New Mutants 18, Death Hunt. Uh, let's cover the creative team as usual. Chris Claremont is writer. Colorist is Glynis Wynn. Letter is Tom Orzacheski. Editor is Ann Nascenti. Editor-in-chief is Jim Shooter. And obviously, we've got a new artist on this book, and that is Bill Zinkevich. And just so you know, Zinkevich is not working with an inker. He's doing the art on his own. So, those are, that's, that's the big change. But this, this is a tonal shift. This, this bringing on Bill Zinkevich changes the tone of the book. It revolutionizes the book. The work that comes out from the synergy of Claremont working with Zinkevich, it's, it's unreal. It's unmatched, in my opinion, in comics history. Or at least to this point, I should, maybe I'm getting a little too... I mean, it's my favorite. This is my favorite, favorite period of the book. This is my favorite book, and these are my favorite... This is my favorite duo on the book. Uh, Zinkevich's work on this book is absolutely stunning absolutely perfect absolutely beautiful he he hits everything and uh let's let's talk about why Zinkevich is brought on let's 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 just do that you know um Sal Buscema there's there's honestly nothing wrong with with him uh let's but let's start with what Chris Claremont thought uh it's just gonna be a direct quote I'll just read it and uh, let's let's pick up. We'll start right there. So this is Claremont on Bill Sinkevich. Quote: It was sort of the case where with Bob McLeod, it was good. With Sal Buscema, it was good. When Bill Zinkevich came in, it was suddenly like Holy Toledo. This is crazy. Talk about synergy of artist and writer. Bill was in a period of evolution, just like we all were. He suddenly discovered Ralph Steadman and just went with it. I think from Bill's point of view, he had given birth to this whole crew of Neil Adams clones, and he was just at the point where he wanted to try something different. With Anne Nascenti and this book, he had the right venue. We sort of been sort of been Moseying, moseying along, being very normal and very middle of the road, and so we're primed to be crazy. We were dealing with teenagers who were full of volatility, big emotions, big crises, none of which had anything to do with saving the world. I'm just talking slumber parties, living at the mansion, making friends. I, I love that quote, you know, it, it really hits so much, you know, of why I think Sienkiewicz fits this book so well. Uh, 
it's a very abstract style that he brings to this book. It's very much um, not realist. It's not the same type of art we've had since the book started. You know, McLeod and uh, McLeod and and Buscema, they both were fantastic artists. Uh, you've heard me talk about my opinion of both. I think they did a very good job. And when I compare their work to the 90s, you know, I, I think they were fantastic artists. Uh, as a child of the 90s, you know, uh, when when my collecting really took off, when I really f- had, had fallen for comics and had tons of money to spend, you know, relative to what I was spending before, which was no none of my own money. When I had a job and I and I was making money and could spend it how I chose, and I spent it on comics, that was in the 90s. And that's when my t- collecting of comics took off. And the images of the 90s, I, I think we're all familiar with the big, big artists of that time, image was taking off. It's Jim Lee, Rob L- Leefield, uh, Todd McFarlane. And let's, let's just think about the type of... Uh, art that's being done at that time it's it's overly masculine you know huge huge muscular super human physiques uh on the men and and women are are powerful in their own way right in the way they're drawn but let's let's not forget that it's you know tna you know massively tna uh, and that works as a double entendre that being said when i look back at the 80s and what mcleod and Busema brought to the New Mutants. These are teenagers, and they looked like teenagers. That's probably my favorite thing of their art. You know, that sets the tone of the book. Their art sets this up. So when Sienkiewicz comes on, he he does make a tonal shift, but it's in art style. His his Sam, his Cannonball is still lanky and awkward, and that was established when McLeod designed the character. That is not new to Sienkiewicz. What Sienkiewicz does is he he takes an art style that so matches Claremont's storytelling. It's probably my favorite part. Claremont is wordy. I think we all know that. He narrates heavily. He... Lots of dialogue, lots of words. And it's important. There's a couple of things that are important when Claremont's writing a book, in my opinion. One, it's obviously the letter. There's going to be a lot of words on the page, and they've got to all fit. And the art still has to be able to depict parts of the story. So there's that. The second part is definitely the artist. Claremont doesn't pair well with every artist that comes on board. Zinkevich's style, his tonal shifts, the way he uh, utilizes the art to tell the story, it enhances the storytelling of Claremont. They, they work well together. There is a synergy. That word fits so well. Um, and, and we're going to see that going forward. If you haven't read the Demon Bear Saga, uh, that's the next three issues we're going to be covering. I'm starting on uh, Death Hunt here today. It is the definitive New Mutant story. If there is only one New Mutant story you ever read in your life, this is the one I highly recommend it. It's collected in trade paperbacks. It's easy to find. If Fox ever releases the movie, this will be a major motion picture. 
we will see if it's ever released. I don't know what's going to happen with that. It may just be canned. I'd like to see it personally, but we'll see what happens. So, I mean, it is available. It is something you can find. Like I said, I highly recommend it. So, wh why bring on Sienkiewicz? I mean, part of it is that they're, they're looking for something new. They're looking for something new. And and, and I think Anne Nascenti, honestly, is a huge reason for it. Uh, she does give us a quote I, I, I've come across in my research uh, about putting uh, Bill on the book. And uh, I'll, just, I'll just read it verbatim. Uh, this is a, a quote from Anne Nascenti. To make way for Zinkevich, Sal Busema, whose unwavering, straightforward style had offset the absurdity of Gerber on Defenders and Inglehart. On Captain America, had to be uh, take he, he he had to be taken off. Sorry, this isn't a direct quote. I, I I'm mistaken here. This is out of Howe's book. Um, so uh, he Howe uh, who wrote Marvel Comics: The Untold Story. This is this is a quote from his book. Uh, sorry about that. It's not directly from Anne. And this we will get to a quote by Anne. Uh, sorry. So to make way for Zinkevich. Salbusema, whose unwavering and straightforward style had to be offset, could offset absurdity of Gerber on Defenders and Inglehart on Captain America, had to be taken off the New Mutants. Uh, and here's, here's uh, Anasani's direct quote. I know you couldn't have an old-fashioned artist on something ground, uh, geared to bring in new readers, Nascenti said. Probably the hardest call I've ever had to ever made at uh, Marvel was Sal Buscema to say bluntly, too bluntly, I'm taking you off the book. He asked why. I said, you're an old fashioned, you're old fashioned. This needs to be new. He was really mad, then upset, then turned around. And in the next issue of The Incredible Hulk, it was fucking magnificent. It was like Sal saying, you wanted to see what I can do. He just pulled out all the stops, um, and so he he continue. I mean, he's a he's a he's a workman artist, right? He can do. He does the Marvel style, this this very traditional art style, and and he did it well, and he'd done it for a number of books. And if you if you know Gerber, uh, Grieber and uh, Inglehart. You know they're wink, wacky, zany guys. Their their storylines are, are just off the wall at times. And so to have some something that's that's sound and real, really, kind of drives the story forward and and makes it tangible in a way, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, and with with Claremont, you don't necessarily need that. Uh, and and Zinkevich, he's like a breath of fresh air. He really is, and. I've said this online, and if you if you follow any of my social media accounts, you've you've probably seen it before. If you've if you've seen anything I've posted online, in the '90s, I was not super impressed with Sienkiewicz. There were a lot of artists that I was like, uh, "This doesn't make sense. I don't know why it's in the comic." Uh, but I was so intrigued by the New Mutants, I really wanted to know more. I discovered them in this Wizard. Uh, it was like a, I think the 30th anniversary of. 
the X-Men. It was celebrating that. It was, so it was a special wizard. And it listed all these uh, long, you know, dead dead X-Men characters, uh, villains and heroes. And Ileana had come up. And it wasn't the Ileana from 303 that died of the legacy virus. No, this is an Ileana that I didn't know existed. And then there's this guy, Doug Ramsey. And I recognized some of the characters because they were an X-Factor or X-Force, sorry. And so I was like curious, and I went back and I started collecting these back issues of the New Mutants, and that's when I was first introduced to Zinkevich, and wasn't super impressed. But I bought the comics because I wanted to, I wanted to find out more about these X characters, these X Men characters, that weren't part of the main the main lineup, and that was how I started collecting New Mutants, and I fell in love with the characters, and as I got older and matured, and moved away from this dire like this ridiculous need as a young teenage male that just thought tna was the greatest thing in the wide world that this art style of these i mean artists that you know i i still respect they brought me into comics they really sunk their teeth into me the 90s if for no other reason drove artist creator owned content you know that's that's image and we can go into a debate on that let's not though and just keep moving forward. You know, I'm not going to say they're terrible artists, but the style isn't the same as what we had in the 80s. Much more real. Uh, and and so I've I've learned to appreciate some of this this art from uh, the 80s, and and really found a love for Zinkevich. I just really love his style. I think it's brilliant. I think it's like I said, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and it matches Claremont so well. And some of the emotion that it conveys, I think, is fantastic. I'm not, like, a fantastic art critic, and I probably don't have the word, the words to really do this justice, to really critique Zinkevich the way that some art art hounds would, um, unfortunately. But I will do my best because I totally respect the guy. Of all the artists, he's, like I said, he's my favorite. He's my favorite. And and in large part, it's probably because he was paired on an X-related title with uh, my my all-time favorite writer of X-Men. And I know that a lot of people don't like the wordiness of Claremont. But for me, for me personally, he reinvented the X-Men. He, he rebranded the X-Men from the original you know, the original group that had been pretty much shelved, uh, canceled by by uh, by Marvel. He, he gave us the X-Men, and he ensured that it continued for generations to come. And that's important because what we see is the second coming, and that's the rebirth, right, of this idea of mutants finally working together and finding harmony with humanity and very much playing these superhero-type roles. And with the New Mutants we begin to see a shift in that story arc. It's those, These characters are not finding their abilities to be gifts or blessings. No, they're, they're trying to discover ways to, to deal with this, right? Because it's doing harm to everyone they care about and themselves. Uh, and Zinkevich, this, that alone, this like struggle is so synonymous with, with teenage growth and uh maturing and puberty and 
like the trials and tribulations that occur in middle school and high school, like that developmental process and the way that mutant powers manifest and affect the characters in New Mutants in the in the series, the main characters, it's it's a perfect allegory. It works so well in that sense. And Zinkevich's art, in my opinion, captures these struggles. He captures the angst and these emotional moments amongst these teammates in a way that I don't think any artist to this point has. And his facial work is, is it's as good, if not better, than the artists that had come before him. Because one thing that you may or may not know about Zinkevich is he's totally capable of doing the the traditional Marvel style, right? He can he could mirror or create art that is that looks like Neil Adams or Jack Kirby if he chose to. It is not something that is impossible for this man. He just was pushing the boundaries and the New Mutants was a title that allowed him to do it, and Anne Nascenti was super excited, obviously, uh, to, to have him do it. And Claremont, you know, whatever, you know, he was telling his stories and found somebody that was willing to work with him, and, you know, they create some very, very, very spectacular work coming forward. So uh, it is sad to see Sal Buscema just kind of brushed away. I, I think I've seen elsewhere that he had just finished. Uh, by the time this all kind of falls down, all this starts coming down, all these changes start occurring. He had just wrapped up not that long his work on. He he does the fourth book in the Iliana uh, Iliana and Storm um, Magic the miniseries, and so he's just concluded that book and. Uh, is wrapping up work probably on the last couple issues he's working on for the New Mutants, and Anne Nascenti is basically like, pack your bags, you're out of here. Uh, I will say that the Hulk run he does immediately after this, uh, it's I think it's entitled Nightmare, I'm not sure. It's like a couple issue story arc, and he does the work on the art on the book, and it is spectacular. And it kind of makes me wonder if he couldn't, like it was definitely him saying, I am capable of doing whatever you need me to do. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of, it is absolutely what Anne Nascenti describes, right? Like this F you to, 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 uh, to Nascenti. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he does a, uh, he, she has a guest appearance in that Hulk issue. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think she does. Uh, so, he was definitely not happy with her. And understandably, you know, he'd been doing fantastic work. And he'd been working on the book for about a year. Uh, so he wasn't too happy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we're going to have Zinkevich going forward. And he is going to inspire quite a few uh, other artists to work in a similar vein to him. What we're going to get out of Zinkevich is uh, the character Warlock. And he he does a fantastic job. Uh there's not very many artists that that do as well with Warlock as as uh, we see uh, Zinkevich do. So he he's the artist that helps uh, that that basically creates Warlock and Warlock's father Magus. Uh, so that's that's coming, and we're gonna see that in this issue. 
I, I mean, I can just go on and on and on about how much I love this man. He's fantastic, uh, really a great artist. Um, but yeah, that's the tonal shift, and you're going to see how this art style really affects this book, and we're going to see artists mirroring or mimicking or having definitely a different tone than we, what we've seen normally uh, in, in X-Men comics and, and comics in general. Uh, he really, really pushes the boundaries, and he takes comics in a direction, at least the mainstream comics in a direction, no other artist has taken it before. And that's significant. It really is. There's a lot of people uh, at the time didn't like his artwork. There were a lot of mainstay fans that thought, uh, you know, were upset that he was doing this, didn't like the artwork. And they wrote, they wrote Marvel telling him that, you know, but they stuck with him. And, you know, he, I think he works on the book for about a year and he's gonna, he's gonna move on. But uh, yeah, he's fantastic. And I cannot wait to reread this arc in its full and, and its totality, and, and you know, I'm also excited that I got to the Demon Bear Saga before the movie, if it has ever released, was released. So, yeah, that's that's the big change, and it is, like I said, significant, and I can't believe I just spent 20 minutes talking about it, but it is definitely worth it. So, uh, let's, let's get into Death Hunt. So, this episode of Demon Hunt opens with a beautiful absolutely stunning splash page it's it's an image of Danny Moonstar and we see her huddled under her blankets uh in bed and it's a checkered blanket it's stunning she's pulled it up over her head she's she's she is hiding it's it's like a it reminds me of a little kid um in bed peeking out of the covers to see if that monster in the closet is in fact coming for you for them and and Zinkevich here has caught captured that beautifully and as as we follow this checkered pattern down the blanket we begin to see this face and it's the face of the demon bear and it is so striking and wonderful and you know this is the first image we see of his art in this book and it's 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 stellar it is perfect i'm just going to read the narration really quick he's out there the demon bear that murdered my parents watching waiting for me danny is terrified and she isn't sure how to proceed the next page we see an image of the mansion from the exterior view and below that image we see an explosion the mansion appears to be under attack and we see a red-haired woman running through the debris tr- calling for charles xavier she reaches the window where charles xavier is pulling back the drapes he's looking out he he's talking about how they're under attack he pulls uses the drapes to pull himself to his feet he's he's in his wheelchair he's unable to walk at this point and he's calling for the commander. It's the army. He's calling for the army to stop, to, to cease fire, to stop attacking, that they'll surrender, that there's no need for this assault. And he is, str- this next panel is just striking. He is 
He is struck by a bullet. It just explodes through his chest and out his back. Blood sprays. It's almost like a mist that Zinkevich's arch created. It's like blood splatters. It's it's just stunning. I mean, it is literally so dynamic and act like so dynamic the imagery here. Uh, Charles Xavier's body is thrown back into his wheelchair, and his wheelchair rolls across the room uh, just from the force of the blast that has ripped open his chest and this giant lettering blam um, and and we find out the woman that that was running towards him was was a young young Rachel Summers probably no older than the new mutants uh, that of, of this this current uh, timeline that the that 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 listens that, that exists in 616 and we see Rachel Summers in present day. She's come back. Uh, she's come to the to the past to try to correct uh, the world for to prevent uh, prevent this from happening. And uh, so she is outside the mansion. She's she's trying to. She wants to meet with Xavier. She wants to try to stop the the timeline of days of future past from from occurring. That's what she's here to do. That is her goal, and she is going to eventually make herself sell her way to the to the mansion. Um, but before we resolve Rachel's story arc in this book, uh, we see a glimpse of the X Men or the New Mutants. Sorry, training in the Danger Room, but it is only a few of the members. We see Sunspot in his Sunspot form. Magma in her magma form and cannonball rocketing across the room. They're fighting these massive robots and uh, training. They're, they're training. And we get some uh, narration from Danny at this point talking about how it is just the, those, those mutants with physical powers with man that that their abilities manifest in physical abilities that are in this training session they are training uh and fighting these robots and roberto's knocked one down sam's rocketing into another magma's blasting another just melting uh just melting them where they stand and we get further narration something we really haven't heard much about it's been probably since issues f- f- four or five maybe since we, that we've we've heard of sam's struggles uh to turn he thought about it a little bit uh during the hellion stuff but here he's ta- you know danny's crit- crit- critiquing uh his his abilities and she wonders she surmises that he has trouble uh manip- uh controlling his ability you know to like turn and stuff because of his age because he he's so much older than all the others and uh wonders if if it's ever gonna improve um and so cannonballs rocketing across the screen uh this the scene and this giant robot uh swats him basically while he's blasting uh with its hand in the air and he begins careening out of control towards Magma, who is uh, busy uh, combating these other smaller robots, doing what I saw, you know, just melting and blasting robots left and right here. And Sam, you know, realizes he's got to do something. Otherwise, he's going to careen into Magma. And he decides to try something. He's thinking about something that Night- Nightcrawler had taught him. He he cuts his, he twists his body in midair, cuts loose, uh, 
basically shuts off his his blasting power and then rockets away as as soon as he's turned uh, away from magma and uh he he avoids careening into magma but this 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 startles magma uh and she spins to to see what's going on she calls to sam uh and a robot ensnares her in its tentacles and she just uses the heat of her magma form her body that is basically living molten rock uh to just melt this robot she falls because it had been climbing up the wall with her she falls uh towards the 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 floor of the danger room and in flies in flies sam and catches her in midair roberto makes short work of another uh robot and they've destroyed all the robots and everybody's kind of realizing just how much crush Sam has on Magma, on Amara, that he's really taken with her. And Bobby sees it. Everyone's kind of beginning to notice this. Um, <clears throat> meanwhile, in the control booth, we see Danny is sitting with Ileana. And if you remember in the last issue, they had kind of begun to open up to one another. Danny's much more aware of Ileana and what what truly is happening with Ileana's uh, sorcerer powers, uh, her ability to teleport, that they have to go through limbo about really a lot of what kind of has happened to Ileana. And there's still stuff that's unknown, but of all the her, of Ileana's teammates, Danny knows the most. And so Danny's let her in. Ileana is also aware that something is troubling Danny, but Danny is not forthcoming. She isn't talking to Ileana about it. She, Ileana actually asks, she asks, says, Penny, for your thoughts, Danny. And <clears throat> Danny just won't, won't open up about it. She just won't open up about what had happened or, you know, what's happening with her. She, she doesn't want to talk about the demon bear, about her parents, about her family. And she realizes that this decision on her part to 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 clam up to not share it with Ileana is is hurting Ileana like cuz Ileana was so vulnerable for for Danny um this this scene is really doesn't last long um cuz the door the doorbell rings and Ileana fl- runs runs to answer the door uh leaving Danny alone in the control booth uh Lockheed, the dragon, Kitty's dragon that they found in space, uh, he follows her to the, to the door and Ileana shoes it away and tells him to be hushed, to be quiet, you know, you're not supposed to be seen. And as, when she opens the door finally, there stands Rachel Summers. Well, Rachel is shocked. She did not expect to see this Ileana, a teenage Ileana. This is the age Ileana was when the, when the mansion was attacked. And Rachel is terrified that she missed her her tel- her her coming to this timeline. She she came too too late. It's too late to stop what had happened. She figures that if Ileana's this age, this is when the mansion was attacked. This is the age she was when Xavier was killed and that it's it's too late if she would have come when she was supposed to, she could have ad- changed things, adjusted the timeline, but but it's it's too late and 
they're basically doomed. That's her fear. She doesn't go in. She runs away without really saying much, um, except for having asked Ileana's name. Um, and Ileana's asks, why are you running away? Who are you? And we get no answer. We get no answer. So unless you're reading Uncanny X-Men at this time, you wouldn't have known that this was Rachel Summers. Interlude. A star far from our own. We get this telescoped image First, it's a broad image of a galaxy, a sun, and this little, little planet. Closer up, another, like, telescoped-in image. We see the planet. It, again, another telescoping of the image, uh, bringing it closer into view. Uh, cl- we see the ridge line, and then we're brought closer. We see it, just almost the ground, hardly any horizon, and this ridge line is much more uh, clear. There's something laying on the ground, a being a stranger, a fugitive. And then we get a close-up and we see this being. It's wild, like, strainedly gray hair, but it's it's almost, like, met, met, metallic. And this this uh, weird form, it's, it's humanoid for sure, legs and arms with hands. Uh, we don't know, we're not familiar with this. We've never seen this character before. Uh, it says, how long was I inert? The ground cold to the touch. I burned it white hot when I it burned white hot when I landed. I feel so weak. My energy cells are dangerously depleted, but this world can restore me. That's why I chose it. Provided I have time. The sun. And this creature, this this being, we've seen something almost similar to this once before in X-Men comics. When Jean Grey was the Dark Phoenix, she flew into a sun and basically uh, took, you know, devoured it, and in doing so caused an explosion that decimated a planet and caused genocide, uh, And what we see here is something blasting towards this this being that stands on this burned-out sun, this burned-out planet. Uh, It says, Greetings, my son. Your father brings you the blessings of a quick and painless end. And he, uh, this be this this form that we can't see very clearly because it's like uh, enveloped in flames and white hot light. Uh, it looks as though it has the same body design as the creature we found lying on that burned out planet. Uh, it it launches a. A, a blast at this this being it hits the planet this other being takes off and flees and begins to run and we we find out that that this creature is being hunted this creature that is running is called warlock and we find out that the other creature that's hunting it has to take its life one one will live the other will die 
And that's about all we get because at this point, that's the conclusion. We see that warlock creature flying off into space, running for its life, while the other creature kind of just enjoys this, seems to really relish in the hunt, the chase of this warlock. He, he knows that eventually they will face each other, and it's only a matter of time. In the end, you must face me. You have no choice. And then I, who gave you life, will take it. Next, we see at the bottom of this page, after this bizarre space adventure uh, of creatures we had not previously met, uh, we see Danny. She's wading through the snow she has a bow and arrow and it's she has the bow slung and uh prepared to fire she appears to be hunting something uh she's walking across the ridge line all of a sudden this bear leaps up out of the snow before her growling she fires a shot it strikes it in the throat uh she only has one arrow left, she realizes, and she ducks a, a, a wild swing of its paw, uh, and she, she realizes her fear has given her impossible speed. Um, and she strings, slings another arrow and fires, and it hits it in the neck again, and this kills the bear. It flumps to the ground. In one of these scenes, though, in one of these panels we have where she is dodging the bear, we see in the foreground another, which looks like, to me, a head of another bear. And if we had noticed that and we didn't realize that at the bottom of this page, in the very bottom panel, the last panel we would read, we see Ileana uh, coming into the danger room. It was it was a training session, and Danny was was working with Ileana. Remember, Ileana is the only one that has any inkling of what has happened with Danny. That Danny is is pushing herself, and Ileana is helping her. Um, so there's a bond between these two characters that developed in the last arc, in 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 their time together in limbo and working to to save their their comrades, the New Mutants. Uh, they they formed some sort of friendship, uh, some sort of partnership that that while they may not fully trust each other right now, they are certainly close. Or for Ileana, certainly she is closer to Danny than she probably is to any other of the New Mutants. As for Danny, she trusts Ileana in a way that maybe she doesn't trust the other New Mutants, uh, realizing that. Ileana's not going to run and tell anyone what's going on, even if things seem a little odd. Danny just tells her that they've been spending this just a ton of time training the same, running the same scenario over and over, making it harder, making it more challenging, pushing Danny further and further, and not relying on her powers, but instead using bow and arrow to hunt whatever this is, this bear in the forest. So that she's run this a number of times. Um, you know, and she's Dan. It's she's been at it for days. Each test has been harder, more dangerous than the one before. And Ileana asks her, "What are you trying to prove?" Not a thing. I'm just making sure that the next time we tangle with a foe, my powers can't affect. I'll still be able to pull my weight. You know, and she's she's using 
her uh what had happened in Manchester, you know, where her powers were directed back at her because of the White Queen. She's using this as a an excuse to continue pushing herself in the danger room, even though it has nothing to do with that. And Ileana's like, yeah, I guess that makes sense, but why bears? Got to start somewhere, is her response to Ileana. And I really, really, really like this panel. We get a really... We have Danny uh, standing over Ileana's right shoulder. Ileana's kind of glancing back at her. Uh, Danny's a little bit in the background here. Ileana's in the foreground. And Ileana's face is so perfect. Like Zinkevich, uh, he can draw a mean face. And uh it's it's expressive it's like kind of her eyes are kind of like uh squint uh, not squinting but like her her facial expression to me it reads as though she's questioning she's not completely trusting of Danny's explanation here the two girls though do uh walk out of the room the dark the room goes dark we just see the the doorway of of the danger room and their shadows cast across the floor and then it shuts and we get a growl in the darkness and these red piercing eyes and red fangs appear in the shadow in the darkness so what is this thing we've been hearing about it as this demon bear and we've been told in the past that it killed danny's parents but in this image, we see it appear in the darkness in the danger room, this this face. And we hear this, well, we see, we don't hear it, but uh, this, right? These red letter R's just stretched across, like, these multiple panels. And, like, if it is a bear, if it is a demon bear, it is certainly not a normal bear. It is something more evil than that uh it is snowing in mass in in uh westchester uh the snow's covered the ground it's winter and there's a snowstorm outside and you know danny's thinking about the fact that iliana was not happy she's really upset you know Again, because she's trusted. Uh, she trusted Danny. And with her secrets, with everything that was going on, she's told Danny things that she hasn't even told Kitty Pride or any of the X-Men yet. And it hurts Ileana that she's opened up to Danny. And Danny, when when Danny has something, she refuses to tell Ileana. She, she won't allow her... To help with this situation. Um, and, you know, we get some backstory about how it's her fault that her folks died, uh, that Danny's parents were killed, they did it to protect her, and her dreams have been plagued lately of this demon bear, and she's getting ready. She puts paint on her face, three red stripes on her cheeks, her forehead, and and so... She she tells us, or in her thoughts, her narration, I'm a Cheyenne. My father, my ancestors were the proudest warriors of the plains. I will be true to my name and heritage no matter what. Tonight, 
I'll prove myself worthy. And she yells, she heads out in the snow, trudges out in the snow. She's bundled up. She's wearing uh, some traditional, um, what what we are to perceive as traditional native um, clothing. And she has her bow with her and her arrows slung on her back, um, her quiver on her back. She calls to the bear yelling and this panel is so amazing we have her standing in the snow um the this giant image of this bear this bear roaring in the sky and it's it's as though it's the bear is the environment the clouds everything it is all of everything that surrounds danny it's all encompassing the sun or the moon it's bright red it peers through the the wispy clouds and the tree line she demands this bear show her show itself and at the bottom of this panel in the snow we get these two eyes they're wide open and the pupils have dilated and if we had any other facial expressions to go with i would say there's some terror here certainly surprise as this giant and this is not just some bear. This is literally a demon bear. It dwarfs Danny. It takes a whole single panel page to, to, it pretty much wipes everything. It takes the whole page almost to depict this bear. This bear is just dark, has brown fur, giant fangs. It's the same face we saw in the danger room, the same red eyes, the same red teeth and giant its its paws have giant giant claws it stands before danny who holds her bow bow in her arm she was startled but she recovers fairly quickly and she reaches into this bear's mind to pull something from its image from its weakness something that fears and she pulls her an image of herself she realizes it's her the spirit form that she's pulled that she's brought to life the thing it fears most is danny and it swats at the spirit image it dissipates and danny takes this moment to to fire an arrow her first arrow it's it should be a killing shot it lands right in this bear's throw it it does nothing. It, it does. It, it only succeeds in making the bear mad. It knocks the the bow from Danny's arm, swats her to the ground. It then it picks her up and tries. It, it it's gonna just chomp her down. It's gonna bite. He opens its mouth wide, ready to take a bite out of Danny Moonstar. And and Danny thinks quickly. She pulls an arrow from her quiver or from her uh, uh her or her her pouch on her back her, her her sling on her back and and jams the arrow into the bear's mouth when it snaps down its mouth closed trying to rip her arm from from her body it bites down on the arrow and it pushes the arrow tip through the roof of its mouth out the top of its snout it is in rage it lets her go it covers its its face um and Danny takes this moment to grab her bow. She fires another shot. This one hits inside of its mouth. We assume it penetrates the brain. It collapses to the ground. She says, I don't believe it. I've won. I've slain the demon beast that murdered my parents. 
At last, their spirits are at rest, and my nightmare is over. And as she's moving closer to this giant beast that lies on the ground, we see its eyes open. The final panel is a close-up of one of its eyes. The next page we see inside the mansion. Rain screams Danny's name. She's bolt upright in bed. She shares a psychic rapport with Danny, and she realizes something's terribly wrong. They wake up everyone, and Rain quickly transforms to her wolf state, her wolf form, and she runs out of the mansion into the snow, followed by Bobby, who is in his sunspot form. Sam runs behind them, and he has his rifle, and and, and Ileana is closely behind them all. As uh, Bobby grabs Rain, telling her, you know, transform to your, to your uh, transitional form. I, I can't understand you. We need to be able to communicate. And they finally reach this spot next to this giant tree at the edge of this river. And there they find their teammate, their friend. And they surround her. Danny is bleeding. She's laying in the snow, blood all over she is not responsive, and Rain informs the group, I can't sense, feel, nothing. There's why, girl, says, says Sam, as they look upon their teammate who lies motionless in the snow. And this is such a great image. Like, they're dwarfed by the world around them. They're just tiny in this panel. And it's so amazing. It's something that, like, the world is so much bigger than them. They're just teenagers. And Zinkevich has kind of brought that home. That, like, amongst everything they've been playing at, everything that they've been doing, all of the stuff, the Hellions, the stuff in Nova Roma, these massive adventures they've been a part of, they're still just kids. And they are outmatched in so many ways. And the life traumas that they will experience are so much greater than what they're prepared to deal with. And you kind of sense that. At least that's my take on this image. It's so stunning. It is so stunning. It's wonderful. Uh, it's it's a tragic scene, obviously, um, as Rain kneels down next to Danny, who's motionless in the snow. Our story is obviously not over, but this is the last page. What will the new mutants do? What's going to happen to Danny? We'll have to wait until the next issue to find out the con- the continuation of this saga. But uh, I... I th- Got to make sure I get uh, samples of this issue um, on on my Facebook page uh, because uh, it's it's beautiful, it's wonderful. I've I've kind of talked before about how Chris Claremont is is a wordy wordy writer. He he writes a lot of text uh, that is then placed in comics. I will say. That as far as this first issue of the Demon Bear Saga, Death Hunt goes, I think for the most part it moves so quickly. Of all of Claremont's stuff I've reviewed to this point, it has 
some of the fewest prose in it. Uh, the lettering, the the wording, uh, is is less. Um, there's just less to read in this. the The artwork tells the story in a way that we haven't seen as well. Right, the pairing of these two. Um, really creates just this fantastic story that flows so beautifully. And it's not, a, I don't want to say not a lot happens. A lot does happen in this arc, um, but it moves so quickly. You're From the time that we open with Danny in bed to the end of it, it it's, just takes no time to burn through that at all. And we get a little bit of an interlude with Rachel and this warlock character that's now being introduced to the book. And he's become, he's going to become a member of the team, a pretty significant member uh, in, in a very short while. But short of those two interludes, this story just moves so smoothly. And the, and the way they've woved Rachel into the story is perfect. It does exactly what it needs to do, and it's going to allow her to move on in her story with the Uncanny X-Men. It is, it's perfect. It's so well, so well done. I cannot get over how amazing this issue is. The artwork, I mean, it is, what is it, what, this isn't just Zinkevich taking a pencil and drawing, uh, and, and not to not, I'm not knocking other artists, like pencils, pencilists in comics are, are amazing. They are stunning, and I appreciate their work so greatly. But what, what Zinkevich is doing is he's pushing the boundaries. He's testing. He's, he's experimenting with this medium. He is painting. He is taking images from multimedia and putting them into different ways, you know, using them differently in these comic panels. He's restructuring the way panels are used in comics. And that's going to, that experimentation has only begun here. It's only going to get more experimental as he moves forward. And it's just so, so brilliant and well done. And, and the two, like I've said, the two working together, Chris Claremont and Zinkevich, it's just unreal like of all of the the new mutant stuff i've reviewed to this point this issue moves smoother and more seamlessly transitions from one page to the next than anything else i've seen the story is so beautiful and so well told that it just it flows so easily from the beginning to the end it doesn't take any time to read it there's no jarring transitions there's not a ton of exposition that has to be uh, interpreted and read through. Claremont doesn't spend a ton of time depicting what's happening on the page because Zinkevich expresses so much through the artwork that Claremont, in, I'm, I'm only assuming, doesn't need to spend a lot of time trying to convey to the reader through the work, through text. Um, it's it's stunning, and, and it's, it's, it's good that it's celebrated because you know, it's 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 a special occurrence. You know, the fact that Zinkevich and Claremont teamed up for even a year. Uh, if you're interested in Zinkevich's work, he do, he's done quite a bit. He did uh, Marvel, uh, Marvel, uh, some for Marvel. He's worked for DC. He's worked uh, on Moon Knight for Marvel, that uh, volume number one. He pretty much did that entire series. Uh, it's the same sort of style as we're seeing here in the New Moons. Um, 
we saw him uh, on X books on Kenny X Men prior to this. Uh, in those X books, he did the Dracula uh, issue with Storm, where Dracula bites Storm, and we get a pretty traditional house style from him until the end of that book, and then he kind of just pushes the boundaries, seeing what he can do, and. I mean, it is beautiful. I mean, I like I said, I, I I continue to gush because he's my favorite artist, and and not to take anything again away from the artists that had come before him because without them, this comic doesn't exist for him to even work on, right? They created something and he's furthering it, and he's doing it masterfully, masterfully. His facial expressions are as good as anyone before him and after. He conveys emotion through the artwork in multiple ways. Uh, And I'll I'll try to do better moving forward at trying to describe what I'm seeing uh, and critiquing it. But I am excited to be at the Demon Bear Saga. I'm excited to get into issue number uh, 19 next, uh, next episode. James Explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are available every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant via email at ExploreTheNewMutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and can be found by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Another way to reach the podcast is via the Anchor app. It allows you to record minute-long comments or questions that are then sent directly to me. I can take those questions and comments and place them directly in the episode. It's a great way for you, the listeners, to become involved with the episode, and I highly encourage it. Thanks for listening, and until next week, uh, keep reading those comics.